Welcome to episode 206 of the Apple Maps and App Addict Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of Apple Maps. Join us this week as Trevor and I build a subway, shoot futuristic falling bugs, battle zombies, and climb a twisted and disturbing family tree. How you doing tonight, Trevor? I'm doing good. I'm most intrigued by that creepy family tree. <laughs> oh, it's twisted. Yes. <laughs> and so before we get there, Apple's actually making some news. So they sent out the invites this week for their next event, which is going to be this Thursday, October 27th at 10 a.m. Pacific. And we last saw Apple on September 7th with the iPhone 7. And so all that iPhone stuff is out of the way. So it's likely this event will focus on the Mac with the star being the all-new MacBook Pro, which is going to have a touch OLED sensor where the function keys are on the keyboard, and those will be context-sensitive based on what app you're using. So it's kind of like that top menu infused right into the keyboard, and then it's just going to improve upon you know the processor and all that good stuff, changing up some USB-C ports, all that. And beyond that, I mean, that doesn't sound like a whole event to me, but who knows what else Apple's going to do. Well, see, the fact that they did the hello again is like definitely a callback to that original like 1984 Mac introduction where the Macintosh prints out on the screen. It says, hello, I'm Macintosh to Steve Jobs. So obviously the, the, the new MacBooks are going to be the front and center. Whether they do spend time on other stuff, I don't know, because it doesn't seem like it seems kind of odd to now try to rush in the any kind of new iPod touch or a new iPad it just I, we haven't heard much about these that it doesn't seem like they're going to intro them it's going to be basically probably a Mac focused thing and then they're going to talk about uh the OS a little bit more show how it works with this new that that new little touch bar looks like it's really neat the one thing that really concerns me is that USB-C because if they completely eliminate USB 3.0 or 2 com backwards compatibility now you need another dongle yet another converter yet a dock station or something to use all your legacy devices which is so completely annoying and obnoxious that I wouldn't put it past Apple to do it but they better if they do this have more than one like they did on on that other MacBook that they introduced because to use it for power and for in, any kind of interfaces you want to use is just ridiculous and I'm just sad to see them completely getting rid of this MagSafe connector because switching ever since I switched to a Mac, that is one of the best connectors ever. And I can't believe they're getting rid of it because it just works so well. And you don't have to worry about accidentally destroying a cable or destroying your port. It just pops right off and it's so convenient. Yeah, I think there's going to be three USB-C ports and... I definitely get what you're saying because the MagSafe is definitely awesome. But this is the MacBook Pro. Maybe they include some old legacy stuff. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I, we'll find out. I mean, one of the rumors that came out was it was going to be a single USB-C port. And this was by the people that reported the originally reported the the uh, headphone excuse me the headphone jack going away. So there is some credibility to the source of this. So, but. 
I'm really hoping it's more. No, they than already one. have pictures of the chest. Oh, oh okay, they, they, they do. Have, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's why kind of makes you wonder: Is Mac going to be it? Because Apple could, of course, update the MacBook Air, but with actual new stuff, I don't know because it seems like they want you to either get the MacBook or the MacBook Pro, and they're kind of phasing out the Air, so they might just transition the processor. But then the iMac also could use an update. Apple's been rumored to make the 5K Thunderbolt display with the built-in graphics chip, and then the Mac Pro hasn't been updated since 2014, and the Mac Mini hasn't been updated since... No, Mac Pro is 2013, Mac Mini is 2014. So there's stuff Apple could update, but there's not a lot of you know, rumblings about these various other Macs beyond the Pro. Right, right, yeah. The fact that it's been so silent, Apple seems to have lost its ability to keep things quiet is is kind of surprising if we do see something that we're not expecting. Because I'm planning to get that new MacBook Pro because my 2008 iMac died on me and my 2011 MacBook Air just can't do everything that I want to as quickly as I wanted to and not like super power hungry because the battery's pretty much dead on it anyway. So. Right, yeah, yeah. Mine, I just got a little over a year ago, about a year and a half ago. So I'm not planning to upgrade anytime soon. But uh, I definitely, yeah, with what you got going, you definitely want to try out the new stuff. And then the one other thing that I would like to see is a 4K Apple TV. I mean, Apple introduced the last TV last time around this year. It was November when it actually launched, and 4K. You know, 3D never picked up steam because people had to wear the glasses. The same kind of thing with VR. You have to strap on this whole headset that's opaque and stuff. But 4K, you just simply, if you're out in the market to buy a new TV, the 4K TV is almost the exact same price as a 1080p TV. So it's going to just come into people's homes. And it makes sense for Apple to do this, especially with their streaming services that they're emphasizing being so, they're kind of 4K already, like, you can just use Netflix and stream 4K, but if you have an Apple TV, you can't do it. So you have to use a different platform to get 4K Netflix content on your TV. Right, and I believe the Fire TV, they introduced one that does do the 4K. Yeah, and so, I think Chromecast does too. Yeah, so at this point, Apple's lagging behind in this. Roku and they want might to, do it too. I think it may. Yeah. And so they're one of they're going to be the last to this party that people might jump ship if they want to have one device for everything. Obviously, they won't be able to do all the Apple if they're in the Apple infrastructure. But other than that, it, it makes it that much more competitive with these other devices if they add this in. So it would make sense to maybe upgrade that. But whether or not we'll see that this or just down the line, I don't know. I yeah. mean, the one other thing that we definitely are expecting is some sort of a announcement about the AirPods, whether they're now available to order or now you'll be able to order them, but you'll be able to get them in November or something. Uh, some kind of a follow-up because they said late October and October 27th is late October. We're running out of days here. Yeah, and I know you and... I are both interested in the AirPods and would just like a date so we can give Apple some money and get the AirPods. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Take with the money. iPhone 7. I just want some wireless headphones that aren't old and clunky like the other ones I have. Yeah. And so, you know, with that kind of Apple music connection, maybe iPod Touch gets some little bit of upgrade like maybe the whatever what chip is it currently on? Like the A8 or something? They have the same as the iPhone 
six, I want to say. So that would be the, the A8 chip. The A8? Yeah, yeah because I want to say. iPhone 7 is A10. Yeah, I want to say it's the A8 chip. Yeah. I mean, my daughters, there's, they, I bought them the, those uh, last year for Christmas, and they can run pretty much everything. They've never had a problem running anything. When did they come out? Last year in September? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. they were last. They were just before um, Black Friday because I was hoping to get a Black Friday deal on them, which I did. Yeah. Okay, that might be too quick for the iPod Touch when it comes to Apple. <laughs> right. Yeah, they waited what five years the last time or whatever it was. So, I mean, I don't know how Macs are going to carry the show for as long as they need to. I mean, you think. It needs to be an event, not just something that's a press release. It has to distinguish itself in some way, right, to be worth the time? Right, but if they're going to show off new Mac hardware, then they could drag that out for a certain period of time. It doesn't have to be like a super long event. Uh, now, we know this one's streaming, right? Yeah, I, think or not. They, as I don't remember the last event they didn't stream. Right, yeah, yeah. so I assume it's streaming. Because they but... stream that event in the springtime with that really baby event that was like ipad or something or was that new oh, macbook yeah there was a new macbook yeah. yeah see yeah so they have a presence for doing just a a small little new mac hardware one so yeah i guess i gotta imagine it's gonna be focused solely on that with the airpods and maybe a little touch on the software like how many installs people upgraded to to mac os sierra and information about that yep and so that's the Apple event again. It's going to be this October or this Thursday, October 27th. And that means that Apple did move their earnings report to the 25th. So on our next podcast, we'll talk about how much they made in the fourth quarter, which, you know, it doesn't have that much of the iPhone 7 sales period. So it's a pretty slow period for Apple. We'll see what they can muster out of that period. Yeah, it's really going to be that next quarter after this one that you're going to see the real money hit. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see exactly how much things shifted. And then one kind of thing that's not directly related to Apple, but it's an interesting piece of news is that AT&T bought Time Warner Cable for a proposed $85 billion. You know, it's going to have to go through regulatory approval. But as of right now, that means AT&T will gain access to HBO and CNN and TNT, as well as Warner Brother Films and a whole bunch of content from Time Warner because Time Warner sold off their kind of cable subscription service to Charter last year and now they're selling off all their content and with AT&T having bought DirecTV last year they now have you know the satellite package plus their traditional mobile offerings now they actually have content that can they can deliver specifically to both DirecTV and their wireless customers yeah, it always makes me nervous when companies like like the provider company buys out the the actual content companies as well. Like when NBC bought out Universal, and I don't know, these always kind of scare me that they're going to well, try Comcast to do some. Bought NBC Universal. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it always. I mean, we haven't seen Comcast do anything where they like only offer certain programs on Comcast, but just the fact that. Theoretically, they could makes me kind of weary that whenever these companies buy up the the big uh, content providers. 
Yeah, it's kind of Apple relevant because Apple at one point a few months ago was rumored to be interested. And of course, right. they have the money to spend $85 billion. It's interesting that time, or AT&T has $7 billion on hand and they already are in debt at $120 billion, And now they're able to spend another $80 billion. So the lenders, I mean, they're celebrating. That's a nice chunk of interest <laughs> they're going to be making by supporting AT&T. Yeah, it, well, the question is, what did they expect to do? do with it the, that's going to earn them that investment back i don't you got to have a plan for it so i don't know you what could the have plan specific plans like right now if you have direct tv you get free unlimited data with if you get a new at&t phone so i imagine you could do like something like that for hbo now where you don't need okay. a whole package just hbo now yeah oh okay i see yeah yeah stuff like that though it would have helped apple to have direct content rather than trying to create their own to catch up to netflix and amazon right yeah at this point they just need to get into the game yeah the one thing that i like is that the dodgers are on spectrum sportsnet time warner's become spectrum so it used to be time warner sportsnet and it wasn't on direct tv but now if at&t already owns direct tv and then they bought all of time warner offerings that means the dodger station will be on direct tv <laughs> next year so that is some. That's the only good thing I came that was <laughs> particularly focused on me. Yeah, yeah. And so that's pretty much the news of the week, and that means we can transition to apps. And the first app is Grava, which is a automatic kind of video editing app. So rather than you having to manually pick what clips you or not pick, you still have to pick the clips. But once you pick the clips, you have to you know slice them down to the perfect time periods and then merge them together and enable your own transitions and do all that the app does it all for you simply select the clips it processes it and then you have a resulting film that you can share yeah so the nice thing about this is uh what it does is if you use their camera to film their camera within the app to film things then it has all these extra sensor information that it's pulling from your device where now it can use the gyroscope the accelerometer the gps and all this other information to help pick out what these best clips are like the most action-packed clip it knows there's a lot of movement at this spot so this is this is probably a good location to grab part a clip from and so I, I was telling you before just before we started recording i there's a tom tom bandit which is kind of their um their their sort of gopro camera that yeah the jeep the navigation company made their own like gopro style camera and they have editing software that comes with it that works a lot like this except what they're using is the sensors on that actual camera to try and pick and choose so it knows like maybe you were on a snowboard and you did a flip it has all this information about the rapid movement and the rotational movement so it knows that this is probably a good action-packed sequence that you want in your shortened little edited video and so this is kind of cool that now there's software out there that now you can do this with any existing iphone or camera that you might have and it does the same sort of thing where it can auto pick it out to save you hours upon hours of time 
of really going in and trying to decide the best thing, this does a really decent job of picking things out. I mean, granted, there are people that are still going to want to do hands-on and really narrow it down. But if you don't, if it, you don't edit anything because you know it's just a daunting task and it's going to take forever, this is a quick and easy way to try and get something that looks pretty good and put something out there and share it on social media or share it with family and not spend a ton of time just sifting through things and trying to pick out those certain moments that you wanted to use. And then you have those customization options where you not only get to pick the clips, you can set the duration of the resulting film. And then, like you said, with the ability to, while you're filming within the app, even if you're importing from your own camera roll, you can tell the app this particular section of the film or of your movie clip is really good. So include it and the app will work around those kind of suggestions. Right, right. Yeah. You still have all that customization that you can do to fine tune it, but you can go for a quick best effort to start with. And that may be perfect or you can spend a little more time, but either way, it'll odds are it's going to send you, save you a lot of time editing or get you to actually edit some video if you usually don't. Yeah, because video can take up a lot of camera roll space. So if you actually get some use out of those clips and share it, maybe you don't need to keep the original files and you can uh, keep some room. Or right, or you room. back the original raw files out someplace else, but now you just have your edited clip. Yep, and so that's Grava Auto Video Editor. It's free. It's iPhone only, I think. Uh, yep, and it's G-R-A-A-V-A if you're looking for it. And there's quite a few of these kind of auto video maker apps. And, I mean, they all kind of do a similar goal, but it seemed in my test that Grava did make quality results that I actually thought were worth sharing. Yep. And so that means it's time for new games, and there's some good ones coming into the App Store station. The first one is Mini Metro, and we talked about this game for a while, I think it was 2015 we first talked about it for GDC and PAX. Yeah, and PAX, yeah. And then this year in 2016, it appeared again. And now finally we're here at the end of October 2016. It's actually in the App Store for everyone to download. And the game is built on the idea that you're going to build your own subway stations. You start off with a few different platforms, and then you simply drag a line to connect those platforms. And then as you go, more stations are introduced, and you'll need to keep connecting them. And so you can introduce new colored lines and it will start to look just like you're looking at a subway map as you're creating it yourself with the different colors. And then the stations will have different shapes. So you might have a square, a circle, and a triangle. And you need to make sure that you have a connection. If you have a triangle station, those passengers that come might want to go to square. But if you only have triangle connected to circle, they can't get there. So you're going to have to either make your one line longer or overlap your ex one line with another. So you might have the blue line and the red line meet at one station so the passengers can translate over. And the stations are going to keep building in complexity, and then you'll gain new lines, new cars, and the ability to handle kind of the increased influx of traffic on your railway station or railway yeah. map. Right, yeah. So there's all different things you can add on to try to – because it's going to get stuck in – frantic and frenetic and you are just going to get stressed out because you're going to start to see all of the passengers start building up at certain locations and you know you either have to get another train on that 
particular line to try and alleviate some of that. Or you can add a carriage onto the line where now it drags around the, and the one car that's on there is twice as big, so it can carry twice as much. Or then eventually you see other things like a speedy train, which you can now say you've like extended out your line way too long. It takes forever for it to end to end. You can add on a train that will move much faster to try to get stuff moving in there to get these areas that are bogged down, cleared out. Or you also then have uh, these abilities to make these larger stations. So like if you have a spot that crosses a bunch of different lines, odds are that's going to start building up a lot of passengers, especially if the lines are long and the trains are off picking up passengers further down the line. This one cross point is going to really start to get bogged down because it's people coming in from all different lines. And so you, eventually you can get these other units which can replace the existing thing with a much larger one so you have more time before the people get overwhelmed and then you lose because basically you're trying to go as long as you can until one of your any one of your stations gets so bogged down that your subway is a failure and now you lose but it, yeah it's it, it the game really harkens back to some of those early titles on the app store like harbor master and flight control and it's that fun like time management it's stressful but still fun and you're you go, these games can last a long time but it's all of what you make of it. If you're able to stay and keep things smoothly running for as long as possible and then eventually things are just going to get so bad you can't do it anymore. Yeah, I felt the same exact comparison of Harbor Master and Flight Control. It has that real-time path-drawing strategy, but now it's a whole new idea because you're managing the subway map, and it's great to just see the map develop because it's so subtle where a new station is introduced or a station might change shape. You have a new Pentagon shape, and that throws off all your different interconnected tracks, and you just have to keep kind of responding to the way the map shifts and builds outward and it's great to see, you know, you have six different line colors and they're all going, intersecting in different ways based on just those single connections that you've made. And if you play in normal mode, you can redo a line. So say you have the red line going to one station, you simply just pull your finger back and now you can have the yellow line go to that station so your red line's not as long. But if you play the expert mode, you can't undo, you can't change any tracks. Once you have a track, it's final. And then there's going to be 13 different maps based on real actual station maps from London, Berlin, Osaka, San Francisco, all these different ideas. And they each have their own kind of challenges. Like Paris is really condensed. So you have these really close-knit stations that you have to make as many lines as possible so those stations don't become overwhelmed. And then there's other places that have multiple rivers, but your bridges are limited. So you need to focus on having one line, you know, only having to cross the bridge once. And you always have to have that kind of resource management. So there's a lot of different complexities, but the core idea just keeps you fully engrossed in the game. As you're drawing the lines, you don't, you know, you just kind of zone out on anything else and you're just focused on improving your station map so it's efficient as possible. Right. And you're always looking for the other shoe to drop for them to all of a sudden add either like a new location that's over a river and you have no bridges or tunnels to get over there. Or they're going to add one. And now you got to rearrange everything in order to to make sure that you're not making something too long or it's just going to get overwhelming 
for where that new location happens to have shown up. The, one of the really nice aspects of the game is they also have a daily challenge, which you are basically competing against everyone in the world. And so it's something brand new every day. Sometimes it'll be like the hardcore mode where you can't adjust things. Sometimes it'll be where you still can adjust things. And it's just it a new different challenge every single day. So you never have to worry about, oh, well, it, it's randomized anyways for the, the normal 13 cities. But then you can also play one of these daily challenges and have a fresh new take on things every single day and you get to see how well you ranked up against other people around the world and see maybe like oh okay they they lasted this long i only lasted like half that i must have done something really wrong i gotta rethink my strategy so it's a good way to just practice and try out new things and always have that that fresh challenge every day yeah the daily map is really good and just the more i was playing the game the more i just fell in love with the idea it's the kind of one of the most like stand it's a game that's going to stand on my device and I'm actually going to want to go back to because we always are cycling through new games to play for each podcast but this game is definitely one I'm going to be coming back to just because they've done such an excellent job I know it's been in development for so long and it was well worth it because the game is virtually flawless as you're drawing the lines it responds exactly as you expect and each map just develops so subtly to keep the challenge consistent there's a really smooth difficulty curve and it's just a really neat idea because it connects the real world that you're kind of familiar with with this gameplay experience yeah i completely agree this is one that's earned like a permanent spot in my device i've been waiting for this i first played it when it was a browser game back in like 2015 then i saw they were coming to pax and or maybe it was even before that when i played it as a browser game then they were coming to pax east and in 2015 and they had that demo of the the ios version because it, it had come out on steam and they had the ios version i'm like oh we're gonna get this because it works so naturally as a touch-based game that it fits so perfectly and then then we had these years of development and like is it ever coming and now it's here and it was like you said it was so worth the wait because they really nailed it perfectly and just even just beyond the controls themselves it just has this beautiful aesthetic as it kind of just rotates in and just like just the whole character of the game from this lines dots and shapes it just feels so perfectly designed yep so that's Mini Metro, and I would have to say it's an absolute must for iOS. It's four ninety nine. It's universal. And then up next is Rusty Lake Roots. And <laughs> hopefully you've heard some of our previous podcasts. We've talked about the Cube Escape games as well as the original Rusty Lake Hotel. I first got into this series with Rusty Lake Hotel, and then Cube Escape Birthday came out, and it makes you want to go back and play some of the other Cube Escape games just to get more of the story. And all these games have a really distinct art style that has this content and storyline that is just, it's definitely edgy. It's kind of creepy at times. It Surreal has, is the best way to describe it. Definitely weird things going on. And each time a new one comes out, I want to check it out just to see the story develop because there are all these point and click adventure games and that course style is really well done. But the story is what just really engrosses you with the action because there's tons of surprises. You really don't know what to expect as you're going <laughs> through, and it makes it really rewarding as you solve each puzzle. And now with Rusty Lake Roots, it goes back to 1860 and really 
expands upon the story and how the creepy nature built from 1860 on to where we last left off with the series. Right. Yeah. So this one, if, if this one, instead of like a larger story, it's more like a collection of smaller little puzzles. So you're not inside of like one house the whole time. It's like a collection of smaller uh, little puzzles that build up this entire family tree starting, like I said, way back in 1860 with this one guy named James Vanderboom. And then you see how he meets his wife and then their unorthodox pregnancy. And then it starts following the children and grandchildren who get creepier and creepier as the the tree expands. And it is I don't the best way to describe this game is. It's definitely not going to be for everyone. It is creepy as anything. It reminds me kind of like an Igmar Bergman film or some kind of really surreal short film. Like there was one I had to watch in college called Un Chien de Lou. And it reminds me of this just it was like this black and white, like super creepy film that was you you think they're not going to go there and then they go there. And then sometimes you don't even know that they're going to go there and then they go there and this is just so off beat and twisted that there's just something really compelling about it. Even though it is so weird, you just want to find out more about these characters and what horrific things they're going to do to one another or do to themselves or some or other people. And you just have this, like you can't turn away. You just want to see where it goes but yet it's still satisfying to to go through this game and the puzzles are well done and the story is just engaging. And I, I, I this is one series that just kind of captured me from the original Rusty Lake Hotel. And then every single one, like just like you, when these new ones come out, I get so excited because there's going to be more of this really creepy gameplay. There's just it's fun to go through. Yeah, because. The story is going to fully engross you. And then just they, the previous games, it's like one overarching story where you go from room to room and kind of piece things together. You get to swipe from panel. Like there might be one room and you'll each wall counts as a panel. So you'll swipe between the four walls and piece everything together. This game kind of makes it so one particular time period on the family tree is essentially one wall and so you have that core idea you're going around and finding items and then you need to use the items from your inventory to come up with a solution but now you just are given to it in beats bits and pieces so they can go over a longer period of time rather than one snapshot like a kid's birthday party to an 1860 over you know generations of changes to this family Right. And it works so well in the mobile in the mobile setup, too, because because it is so chunked, you can do each one of these memories kind of like one at a time. And you don't have to remember necessarily anything from a previous memory to to solve the puzzles in the current one you're in. So unlike like a longer adventure game where you really want to kind of sit down and do it all in one sitting, because otherwise you might forget oh, this is where this thing was, or this is where this clue that I knew about was, is because it's all encapsulated into this one little, basically a single room for each one of these puzzles, you never have to worry about remembering all of these other things. You can do this one little short 10, 15-minute puzzle, or less, depending, and then 
you can put it away, you can come back and whenever you have time. So it's um it's a perfect system for a mobile for a mobile game. And so even though I do like these longer tales, this just fits so well. Definitely. And it's Rusty Lake Roots. This is probably their best effort to date. It seems like each one kind of builds upon the next and they fine tune their formula. And like you said, now they've really kind of established it to mobile, but they don't sacrifice any of their storytelling. And so that's Rusty Lake Roots. It's $2.99. It's universal. And then there's The Bug Butcher. This game is published by Noodle Cake and it takes kind of that classic arcade shooter style where you have bugs, like kind of futuristic bugs that are going to come from above. So you're mainly shooting upwards. It's like that arcade space shooter where you're always shooting upwards as you might have bugs that are bouncing upwards or spiders crawling across the ceiling. And so you get into that flow where you have to move your guy so he's always below the bug to kind of blast him away. So it has that spaceship kind of shooter idea, but formatted into this arena where you're in a fixed room and the bugs keep flowing in but there are concrete levels to complete and get specific scores for yeah and it, you basically can only get hit four times and then you're dead and you have to retry the level so you basically have to survive the entire level with your your existing life and it's it's this game is really all about reflexes because you're constantly having to move and try to position yourself to get under things but then there'll be like new things spawning you don't know necessarily what they're going to be but as you replay the level if you lose you start to learn the pattern of the the bugs and then you can do much better the next time through but something might spawn and there's like this one big beetle thing that just kind of slams down to the ground after he shoots out a few things then he does a, like a plummet to the ground and then goes back up you do not want to be under this dude when he comes down otherwise you're going to take damage because no matter how much you're shooting him odds are you you're not going to kill him before he hits you. And so it's a constant race of like learning the new patterns of the new bugs that come out and then trying to like either run a back and forth or you have this little sliding thing where you can like jettison yourself across to try to quickly get out of the way. Cause there'll be times where like flamethrowers start showing up on the left and right side of the screen. So you can't stand over there that long. And you're just constantly trying to also chain together shots to, to get a higher score because if you can keep on shooting and killing things, you'll continue increasing the score multiplier. So at the same time, you're trying to avoid the bugs. You're also trying to shoot the bugs. You're trying to avoid other things. You're trying to keep things, keep shooting things to increase that multiplier. So it's just frenetic, constant action. As soon as you hit go, the, it just never stops until the level's over. Yeah. And so for me, the only kind of problem, it seemed nondescript as you're playing it. You kind of, it feels like other games I've played before. There was nothing particularly unique about it. See, I thought just the combination of, yeah, I, we've seen the style of game before, but I thought the combination of the, the beautiful graphics that they had and then just the various styles of weapons and the fact that you had that little quick slide to try to get out of sticky situations, it felt somewhat different to me that it felt yes it had a classic arcadey type feel but it felt like it had its own character and its own sort of uh style and i don't know like it, that sense of the gameplay itself was kind of the same as other things but it still felt like its own fresh experience i appreciated the style i just 
the gameplay I never got hooked on to kind of want me to come back and keep going from level to level. It just, I don't know, I guess it, it seemed kind of annoying that you tried to always be aligning it up just precisely. I kind of prefer just the arcade space shooter if I'm going to be trying to line it up precisely. Oh, see, I see. I kind of like that because it, the, it was more the upgrades and then the ability to unlock additional things is what kept on bringing me back in. So you would upgrade now. Now it would take less shots to kill things. So then you would now get through the level and then the next level you'd see some new type of bug. And that's what drove me forward to continue playing and to try to do it. And the high score didn't as much as as some people like i'm not really like uh, i need the high score on every level and keep retrying retrying until i get the high score is more of a i want to see what the next type of really weird bug is going to be and how they're going to move or how they expand or explode and that's what drove me forward to continue wanting to keep on going level to level yeah that makes sense because there is nice bug variety as you go yeah and so that's the bug butcher it's 399 and it's universal and then one last one I just want to mention is uh, Plants vs. Zombies Heroes, which I was kind of skeptical even going into this one because I'm thinking EA is just trying to make more money off of the Plants vs. Zombies license, and this thing's not going to be very good. I didn't even know what type of game it was going to be, but I saw it came out. I saw it was free, so I figured I'll go ahead and download it. And I was actually pretty impressed with the game. What it is is basically they've kind of mashed up the original Plants vs. Zombies with like a Hearthstone collectible card game battling game. And so what you have is you are on the flower team and you have a hero and that hero has a deck of cards. And those cards are like your units that you're going to deploy. And they have various health and attack points. And then they might have other special abilities like maybe when you spawn this guy, he also spawns like a twin or other like the typical type of things you would see on a on a Hearthstone card card and and that setup and what you can do is you start to as you're playing you're unlocking additional cards you can earn money to then purchase these card packs which give you cards and they have different levels of card packs that give you rare or not as rare cards and then you can keep on customizing your deck and they have a a tool in there to help you just finish out your deck if you don't know what to do which is always nice especially when you're learning what the different types of cards are and the way the actual combat setup is is you deploy the cards with mana, which in this case is sunlight, like you would expect from Plants for Zombies game, and you're putting them out into lanes. So it kind of more is a reflection of that original Plants vs. Zombies. But the different lanes can be just normal lanes, or they might have a higher ground lane where it's like up on a hill or one that's in water. And then you might have certain units which have special extra buffs based on if they're on high ground, they get extra shooting abilities. Or if they're on uh, in water, they might have some special ability. So it adds in like another level of strategy there. And and basically it works just like Hearthstone where on each subsequent turn you gain an extra mana. So the first one you have one, the next round you have two. And so you have different prices on those cards in order to deploy them. So you might have to wait a few turns before you can deploy anything or you can earn the – you just have to – uh, hope that you get lower point cards that you can put out there, and that would be based on however you build your deck. It's randomized what comes, but you can kind of plan ahead in that way. And so do the cards tie to most of the original plant types from the original game? 
Oh yeah, like, and they go way beyond that. And walnut so, and stuff like uh, that. Yeah, I haven't seen the walnut yet, but there are like a lot of there's tons of different plants. So there's all different ones that are out there and they all have different like names and abilities and you have the basic you start out with the basic little popper ones that pop the little pellet forward. The uh and the, well the neat thing about the way they do the combat in this one too is it it always goes in a certain order. So you play your card, and say they play something across from you, uh, the the they're the zombie team, the the people going against you. And so when they say they play a one one, and you have a one attack, one health. Well, normally when they play that out and attack you, you would die. And so what they let you do is as soon as you attack, you always get to attack once right after they attack. So. If their guy's going to kill you and you both have like a one one, you would kill, kill him, too. So he's going to lose his piece as well as you losing yours. So you don't have to worry about now. All of a sudden you have nothing there. And he has this one guy that you're never going to really get rid of. So it's a nice setup. So th on your turn, what you do is you place then you then they have what's called like a I forget what the official name is, but basically they can play like these sneak attack cards and do some kind of crazy thing. Like they might kill some of your units or they might do something else that changes one of your units. Then they get to place their thing and then the attack phase happens. So uh, and then any lane that's obviously not blocked, those attacks go direct to the hero. And so you're basically just trying to kill all of the energy of the hero just like you would in hearthstone to to win the game but it's a lot of these same characters that you recognize other new ones i mean i don't follow the the i don't know i think they have a comic book series now too so i don't follow all this stuff but there were definitely like a wide variety of characters and it looked like the cards are kind of like attached to your hero so you have all these different heroes you can unlock over time and they have their own decks of cards kind of like the different roles in hearthstone but then you also have these common cards that can be used with any of your your different types of heroes that you have so there's a lot of uh, building up a card decks and getting cards and i haven't really i haven't played enough to really notice if um if it hurts to with free to play to be able to make progress there but from what i have played i mean i've been mostly focused on on rusty lake and other games but i did play a little bit of this and it definitely didn't seem like it was overwhelming as far as in your face forcing you to buy stuff with the free to play model yeah, the gameplay makes sense. I was going to ask how obtrusive are the card packs and getting new type of heroes, but I guess you answered that too. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's PVZ Heroes. It's free. It's universal. We talked about a bunch of paid games, so we wouldn't include one free game. And I think that's everything for episode 206. Yeah, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.